The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Let's start with our top story today. A blow to Boris Johnson as his most senior black advisor is resigning. Politico reports that Samuel Kasumu, the number 10 special advisor for civil society and communities, is going to leave the role next month. Downing Street sources have told the BBC that his departure was not linked to the findings of the government commissioned report on race in Britain, which has been criticised by charities and opposition politicians. Now, that report describes the UK as a model for race relations and not structurally racist, though the report does say that overt racism does persist. Kasumo is said to have considered resigning back in February and at the time accused the government of pursuing a politics steeped in division. Joining us now is John Spello, who is Labour MP for Warley. John, thank you so much for being with us on Bloomberg Westminster. Um, I know that there are other issues, vaccine passports for one uh, and the COVID uh, crisis, but we'll get on to that in a moment because um, this issue around the race report today has split the nation, perhaps um, as much as the recent interview that we all watched with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex over racism in Britain. Um, I know that you haven't read and waded through the full sort of nearly 300 pages of this report, but what do you make just initially of the kind of big headlines out of it that have uh, cause so much controversy. What do you make of this idea that Britain is not structurally racist? Well, as you've said, I've uh, been tied up with local elections and um, and also with constituency, uh, constituency work and was uh, invited on to talk about vaccine passports. But I said this is, a, uh, this is an Im- important issue and one in which there are a whole number of strands of, strands of opinion. And I think, firstly, we need to acknowledge the huge strides that we've made in this uh, in this country. Um, not least, you know, as the member of Parliament for Smedic, uh, when we had the notorious uh, election result in 19 in 1964, um, the only seat that Labour lost with an overtly racist campaign from the Conservative candidate then, and the huge changes and uh, that have taken place in Smethwick over that period, and the enormous role played by a whole variety of, of communities in that change, but still accepting and understanding that there are a lot of barriers to uh, to advancement, and that particularly seems the case in uh, many areas of middle and, of middle and upper management, and we need to look at what's happening there and how we can uh, how we can take that further. But as to uh, what's all the details of the report, one of the things yeah. I've learned in my years in politics is to not is to actually go back to the basic uh, the basic text first before yeah. you start to comment on it. 
Okay, well, look, I'll give you um, the view of, of your fellow Labour lawmaker, David Lammy, who says he is just exhausted, like so many of Britain's black community. I am tired, tired of the endless debate about whether structural racism exists with little desire to actually address it. We are being gaslighted. That was David Lammy's tweet in response um, to this, this, this um, race report. I mean... Is there a danger here in trying to tread a, a, a kind of fine line on something that um, a lot of people see as being very clear? No, I don't. I think you know both both viewpoints can have um, can have value in and substance in this. In that there are still a whole number of barriers which uh, which very much need to be addressed, and um, and also people being basically shunted into particular occupations and not and not being able, able then to advance from uh, from there and we need to look at how people can uh, mm. can move themselves forward for example even if you take something like nursing where we used to have more of a ladder but now it's become all um, all, all graduate and that's provided a considerable barrier to people by the way of all commun- of all communities who actually want to start in nursing but aren't actually uh, able to get to university, either because of qualifications or because of family circumstances. And that impacts on particular areas and communities very, very much. So okay. we need to look at, to look at that. But recognising that there are issues which David has, uh, has rightly highlighted, not just now. You know, he and I recently have uh, been involved in a campaign where we've actually got the Home Office to move their ground on the disclosure and barring scheme, where um, sort of crimes or, e- or, or even uh, um, warnings um, ish- and cautions issued to people in their teens were blighting their lives years down, years down the road. And we had to ex- push it very hard with the Home Office and say, okay. because of the number of cautions issued in many areas of high BME populations, this is actually... Having a racist effect in terms of people's ability to move on. Yeah. So John. it took a long time to get that changed, and where you know David and I were really pleased to have got some result. That doesn't mean that's the end of the end of the journey or the end of the story. No, indeed. Um, and uh, I just want to play also a little bit because we did speak to one of the commissioners, one of the people on the commission of this report, Keith Fraser, and um, just earlier this morning on Bloomberg Daybreak. Uh, have a listen to what he said. The country is on a journey. And we need to recognise the journey that the country is on. And it's come from a lot of challenges that people have, have had and have contributed to us being in this more positive place that we're at now. OK, so that was Keith Fraser. Just l- l- one last thought. The British medical uh, health charity Mind um, also has rejected this report, saying that it has fallen short in the conversation about race equality. Um, things like um, the report, sort of, in, as some people see it, denying the gravity of, of slavery, although, again, that the, one of the commissioners um, has kind of rejected that idea. But, but this is it. Does it fall short in terms of where the conversation about race equality no, should no. be? No, 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 look, you're asking me to comment in detail on a mm. report which I said um, I've not had, a, had, had time to, uh, to read yet. And I'm not going to comment on, uh, on detailed parts or detailed aspects when I've, I've seen people's commentary, mm. but I believe in actually read, like, like with government legislation, I believe in reading the legislation, not just people's, people's views on it. 
And I said, it is a balanced picture. If you look at uh, you, you look at Samuel, you look at Smethwick, look at the West Midlands. Yeah. Um, you know, we we now have a number of BME members of Parliament in the West Midlands. My neighbour Khalid Mahmood was the uh, was the first, but many but many others in, and uh, strong roles in local councils. My own borough had the first um, Sikh uh, council leader, who then went on also to become. The first seat member of the House of Lords, the late uh, the late Lord King. Now that's that's been considerable progress. That doesn't say that all the problems have been solved and have got and, and have gone away. They have John. not, and that's what we need to be addressing. And I gave an example of one of the areas where David Lammy and I have been campaigning yeah. on um, ju- on juvenile offences. Big John. change makes a real difference to people's lives. Okay, let's move on then and talk uh, about um, the other big challenge, uh, of course, facing Britain and other countries, which uh, is um, dealing with the pandemic, the vaccine rollout. Your leader, Keir Starmer, uh, talking about uh, vaccine passports being un-British. What is your view? Look, I've actually picked out what he said on this. He said his instinct was that if we get the virus properly under control, the death rates are near zero, hospital emissions very, very low, the British instinct in those circumstances will be against vaccine passports. That's very conditional about it all. And um, the real question is whether COVID actually is going to be with us, Um, not necessarily in, in such a drastic form, but whether, like flu, we are going to have recurring uh, episodes of, uh, of COVID. And I don't just mean the UK, I mean around the, around the world. And therefore, how are we going to manage that? And I think if the public are asked, look, do you uh, want a, a passport so that you can travel abroad? Because many countries will be insisting on that. And actually, the uh, recent polling shows a massive something, 70 plus percent, saying yes, they would, uh, they would want a, vac- a vaccine passport in those circumstances. And also, for example, if it means that, you know, sporting facilities and social facilities, pubs, cafes, um, theatres, cinemas, if they're able to open sooner rather than later, yeah. I think there will be public acceptance of it, and I think but there is. John, does the yeah. does the rather does that rather mixed and as you say conditional message um, from Keir Starmer really cut through to voters or anybody else? And lots of countries, as you say, lots of companies and businesses are already thinking about uh, this vaccine passport issue. Does it cut through that kind of if and but and maybe message? No, I think actually um, looking at um, complexities of decisions is actually the grown-up way of doing it. And too often, uh, uh, people in my, in my uh, job as a politician, but even more with the journalists and broadcasters, try and pose questions as, as stark alternatives, black and white. And they're not. They're very often, um, it's a question of balance. And that can shift during the course of the debate. Look, there's always been a resistance in this country to have to carry a piece of identity to prove who you are, you know, who you are. the ability to be stopped in the street by the police and say, show us your ID card. And we saw that when the ID card came up. However, um, you know, youngsters have to show a proof of age very often in, um, in, in pubs, uh, just, just as an example. And equally, you know, if we go uh, across, to, across to Europe, we have... The health, the health card, 
Yeah, and they so. produce them by the, by the million. And I said to Michael Gove yeah. uh, last week, look, you produce these cards, you've got a mechanism for, for doing it. Let's make it easy. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. The government has raised the minimum wage after the Chancellor Rishi Sunak called it a difficult year for businesses and families. The national living wage is rising 2.2% to £8.91 pence per hour. It will also now be available to everyone over the age of 23. Previously, it had been limited to people 25 years old and above. Uh, it is a boost that Sunak says will help uh, employees as the economy economy ramps up again, um, well, with the lockdowns being lifted. Fewer than one in five people, though, across the UK uh, has requested a COVID-19 test, even if they have had symptoms. Almost 54,000 people have been studied by behavioural scientists. Now, they found that half of those people could spot the signs of coronavirus, including a cough or high temperature. But 43% of people uh, did uh, stick to the rules around self-isolation. But interesting that many of uh, those individuals or many people did not actually get a test even though they had symptoms. And lastly, an NSPCC-run helpline is being launched today after the government announced an immediate review of sexual abuse in schools. England's education watchdog, Ofsted, will look at safeguarding policies. Pupils have shared more than 11,500 experiences of misogyny, harassment, abuse and assault on a website. That is the latest roundup in terms of politics today. Now, let's move on and talk about uh, the approval ratings of this government's handling of the pandemic. Apparently, they are going up. That is according to Kantar's latest public opinion barometer released today. In the survey of uh, just over 1,100 people online, Kantar found that 48% of people think the government is handling the coronavirus outbreak very or fairly well, whilst 46% think it's being handled handled poorly. It's the first time since May 2020 that more people are positive than they are negative. Joining me now is Grace Lown, who is Head of Public Affairs at Kantar Public. Grace, thank you so much for coming on the programme. So, we're a divided nation, it seems, still about the pandemic response. Good morning, Caroline. Thank you very much for having me. Um, divided. Well, I mean, last month when we spoke to you, we referenced that uplift in public mood that we had seen in late February and it is continuing in March so as you as you mentioned at the top for the first time since May 2020 more people are positive about the government's handling of COVID-19 crisis than negative so that's 48 compared to 46 Um, and that is being reflected in other measures of government approval that I think will speak more to a majority than a divided kind of nation. So we're seeing almost 8 in 10, 78% are satisfied with the vaccine rollout Mm. Um, and improving levels as well in how government rates, uh, how the government are rated in communicating about the virus. So 6 in 10 
up uh, from 54 last month, uh, rate mm. the government positively in terms of how they're communicating. Um, right now, of course, we're mostly receiving positive news about the vaccine rollout speed um, and reducing the lockdown measures. So we might see that shift in future months, perhaps as communications take uh, a slightly less positive tone. Um, but I think we can see overall it's that positive move that we saw last month is is continuing. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, the number of people hospitalised uh, and dying from the disease is going down. So surely that must be affecting individuals and families, communities across the country. But it is all the, the government's approval rating. There really is only one issue, isn't there? It is all still pandemic dependent. Yeah, I think you're right. And, I, you know, we've seen before that um, other moments in time where we thought that the government might be forgiven, perhaps, uh, for other disappointments in the response to the pandemic if the vaccine rollout was successful. Now, it would seem as if with the boost to the approval rating of government we've seen in February uh, and now end of March, that that would be true. However, I think, you know, this will move to become something more than just needles in arms, but how that then translates into returning to normality and lowering the risks, like you say, to people's lives um, and health. And mm. I'm sure we'll come on to this, but, the, you know, the vaccine passport issue may form a significant part of that longer term journey to the destination of life as normal, um, as it were, alongside any kind of economic policy response. So yeah. uh, I think you're right that it's probably quite twinned um, and pegged to the vaccine response at the moment in terms of government approval. Yeah, and which part of that approval pie, which uh, which slice of the pie can go to number 10 Downing Street to what the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, has done, I mean, in terms of furlough and, and, and support and business uh, loan support? Yeah, I mean, we are having, you know, new levels of kind of exposure um, in communications from different um, cabinet members of the cabinet owning different areas of this pandemic. I think it's interesting to note about so when we ask people about the balance in terms of um, how the government are responding. So when we look at, you know, we ask people, do you think that people are, um, the government is giving too much attention to public health or is it about um, how much they're responding to the economy? And what we see, it's, it's, it's a tightrope and it has been since, as long as we've been asking this question. So at the moment, a fifth of people think that there is too much focus on health and not enough on the economy um, at 20%. But as we move out of these lockdowns and we could begin to see that real impact on jobs, and household level budgets, that could change. And then that could be reflected in, in the polls. But at the moment, yeah, we're seeing a fifth of people who think that um, there's too much focus on the health, but not enough on the economy. So it is a smaller group um, who think the opposite. Mm. Um, what about, you mentioned vaccine passports. So let's pick up on that. Um, I mean, it's very difficult and complicated to you know, know whether it can be made to work, but so many countries and companies are looking into this. What is the view in Britain at the moment? You know, a country that is obviously traditionally very reluctant to um, have kind of mandated passes and so on. Keir Starmer, for example, from the Labour Party, talking about it being un-British. What does the polling show? Yeah, so, of course, Kirstama is saying he doesn't think that the public will back passports. And I think what our study is showing is that similar to other months, with anything to do with the, with the interventions to tackle COVID-19, the older you are, the more likely you are to support these kinds of measures. So we saw it last month with asking about border controls 
And we're seeing it this month, both with the concept of passports and with this idea of compulsory vaccination, should vaccines be compulsory. So just a couple of numbers of, of note is that 80% of 65 and overs are in support of a vaccine passport um, that would allow overseas travel to go on holiday. Um, and we compare that with just half, 51% of 18 to 24 year olds. So it's quite a range of comfort within the country with the idea of proving it to go on holiday. Um, less popular, but still, you know, majority support in Britain is the idea of a, a passport that would allow for entry into venues such as cinemas or, or stadiums. Mm -hmm. um, that's on average 57% are, are in support, but again, it's higher amongst the older age group um, and younger people are more likely to be opposed to the idea. Mm -hmm. um, I think yeah. it's, wor it's worth noting that, you know, any discussion about the idea of a passport is yeah. that there is really significant support and high majority backing for having a vaccine. It's at 85% up from mm -hmm. 77 last month. But there's still a queue, you know. So for, the, for some people, the question of passports to prove that they've been vaccinated might be reflecting the fact that this queue um, exists and that for some age groups, it's still yeah, a few months can't. yet until yeah, they're they able to have their first dose. Can't get it if, they, if they're younger, effectively. Um, one uh, other very interesting bit of survey work that you've done, the view of the government's handlings when it comes to women's safety. I think this is fascinating that a lot of people think that too little is being done. Yeah, I do. I do think so. And, you know, it's um, it's the first time we've asked this question and it's about, you know, in response to the movement to demand action from government. Um, so about a fifth, 22% in Britain, think the government is doing enough to protect women. Um, and half feel that the government is doing too little. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, women are more likely to say so than men, um, and younger people are also much more significantly to, uh, going to say that the government is doing too little. So um, that's you know one sort of policy area to think about. But the other is about, uh, we asked about online spaces, do people think that the government is doing enough there to help women feel safe? Um, and it's slightly less, um, but 39% think the government is doing too little there. So, it, it, you know, we'll, we'll track this over time and understand how that moves in response um, to any policy changes that do come about to, to intervene for women's safety, both online and offline. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.